It is 586 B.C. in Jerusalem. Of course, at that time, they did not know it was 586 B.C. For them, it was the year 3,338 after the creation of Adam and Eve. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had besieged Jerusalem for two years. Speaking of supply chain issues, that means at the end of the two years, there was no food anymore in Jerusalem because the city was dependent on the surrounding farms for plant and livestock and food sources. The people were so desperate that a group broke through the wall and fled. This was, of course, a group of elite soldiers and palace officials, not the average citizen. They were pursued by the Babylonians and captured. The king Zedekiah was captured along with his sons. His sons were killed in front of him, and then his eyes were put out. A few months later, the city was destroyed and was burned with fire. You can go to the next slide. Thank you. The young men of the city were killed with the sword. No compassion was shown on young man or virgin, old man or aged. The temple was burned to the ground along with the king's palace and all the houses of Jerusalem. The walls of the city were broken down. Everyone was taken away into captivity except a few of the very poorest people who were left to tend to the land. Along with the people, all the riches of the city were taken, anything made of bronze, of gold, of silver. Only desolation was left behind. Lawlessness and injustice reigned as you can imagine the desperation of people for food and for water and for housing. Infants and children cried out for food and drink, and they sometimes died on their mother's breast. Women were mistreated and raped. Shame, one of the worst things to overcome in honor culture, had come upon the people. The nations around mock and scorn. The normal routines of life are turned upside down or even destroyed. Yahweh, the God of the covenant, appears to have abandoned his people. Almost all of the old symbols, the things that we knew and trusted, have been rendered useless. The old institutions no longer functioned. And out of this desperate situation, this lament, Lamentations, was born. It's a little bit hard for us to to identify with the situation back then, but maybe it isn't. Maybe in this time of COVID and all the other struggles we're facing in our lives and in our world, we can maybe identify just a little bit. Many of you know Dahlia Kerr, who's here this morning. She's been a friend of our congregation for 20 years or so, she's told me. 
She comes from Lithuania. Lithuania. She's been in this country for about 25 years. And a couple of weeks ago in our discussions on our book, Freeing Jesus, I talked with her and we talked in our group meeting about Jesus as helper and why we need Jesus as helper. And what she said was kind of a lament of our time. And I've asked her to come up and share that with you this morning. Oh Lord, help us. Our times are confusing, even if it is a peacetime, even if things appear all right. Our country, the United States, is rich and prosperous. Yes, yet it is in a staggering debt. How can a country be prosperous when it is sinking deeper and deeper, deeper in debt, year by year? The country is deep in debt, yet money is being spent in billions on ludicrous space programs and powerful new generation military killing machines. Why is it so? Money is being printed, paper money, with no real value. Is it wealth? A handful of people in the world earn no, they get millions a year, then billions. Many populations all around the world struggle to make ends meet. How come? Internationally, it is confusing even more. When some country, see Russia, moves their troops within their own borders, closer to Ukraine, the country is called an aggressor. Yet, when our country, the U.S., keeps its military bases all around the world and places its war machines in every ocean, thousands of miles away from the country's borders, it is all good. It is for peacekeeping. Our peacekeeping country has been at war for 92% of the time since its birth. And it is the only country in the world that used a nuclear weapon on a civilian population. Yet the right of the country to have nuclear weapons is never questioned. In the past, past few decades alone, the U.S. attacked countries and interfered with their politics, government, and economy. Peace-loving, indeed. The peace-loving, peacekeeping U.S. spent money by far on war-making machines and equipment by far than any other country in the world. Tens of thousands of drone attacks are carried out, resulting in thousands of civilian casualties. It is all, mind you, in the name of freedom and democracy. That's populations of the attacked countries never asked for. When people flee from such destroyed countries, and field economies, and show up at our borders, at the borders of the peace-loving country, it is the, the refugees who are being faulted. Why have you come to our border illegally? How did you dare? Not the country that interfered for its own political and economic interests. 
that's internationally. At home, it is confusing no less. The medical field is advanced and developed as never before. Yet, the population appears to be sickest ever. This is in our country. Obesity, chronic diseases, kids getting sick starting at an early age of for life. Women are freer than ever before, yes. Yet, there is a family crisis. The highest ever rates of divorce, broken families, alienated, abused, and abandoned children, emotionally scarred for life to the point of not being able to function in a society. Oh, yes, and we care so much for the environment. Who doesn't? Yet we, yet we keep spending and consuming and trashing the country and the planet to no end. We sure really love nature so much, yet as a society, we keep destroying nature nonstop. Land is being taken for new developments. New homes moved into forests. Natural habitats and wildlife destroyed. Mountains, whole mountains removed in search of minerals. Land, water, and air being polluted. Issues keep mounting. They do. Yet we seem to be unable to come around. Oh, good Lord, help us. In his book of essays, What Are People For?, Wendell Berry wrote an essay on the poem, A Poem of Difficult Hope. And he says this, We are living in the most destructive and hence the most stupid period in the history of our species. The list of its undeniable abominations is long and hardly bearable. And these abominations are not balanced or compensated or atoned for by the list easily reiterated of our scientific achievements. The distinguishing characteristic of absolute despair is silence, he says. There is a world of difference between the person who, believing that there is no use, says so to himself or to no one, and the person who says it aloud to someone else. A person who marks his trail into despair remembers hope and thus has hope, even if only a little. Another commentator on Lamentations put it this way, to name evil is to resist it, to begin the healing process, to recover and rediscover one's human dignity. And that's what Lamentations does. In the midst of that despair of Jerusalem, it names the evil. It lays it out in graphic language, language that I may even hesitate to read here from the pulpit. It speaks it out. It doesn't offer hope. It doesn't wrap things up in a nice bow. 
It doesn't say in the end everything's going to turn out all right. It just speaks it in raw, cutting, deep words. And it names the evil. It names the evil of Jerusalem itself. It names the evil of the Babylonians who burned Jerusalem. And it, in opposition to Job, accuses Yahweh, the God of the covenant. But always remember, by speaking it out, you resist and begin to bring hope. Lamentations does this in a very carefully constructed series of structured poems. The Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. Each chapter of Lamentations, except chapter 3, contains 22 verses. Each of the verses starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet, except the 16th and 17th letters are reversed in poem 2 and 3. The chapters 1, 2, 4, and 5 contain one line per Hebrew alphabet letter. And chapter 3, if you look in your Bible, you'll see this. Each verse, each letter contains three lines. Chapter 5, which concludes the book of poems in absolute despair, doesn't follow this pattern. It, it does have 22 verses, but it doesn't follow the acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet. So if, you, if you're reading it in your Bible, pay attention to that. There are also three speaking voices in Lamentations. There's the poet or the narrator. There's the personification of the city of Jerusalem. There's Jerusalem speaking, usually as a female, almost always as a female. And then there's the community as a whole. And there's one voice that's absent. You can go to the next slide, Christopher. Thank you. The voice of Yahweh, the God of the covenant. Because Jerusalem feels that she has been abandoned by God. And she's very honest about it, Jerusalem is. She says openly, as we already read this morning, you've abandoned us and you've punished us because of our own sin. We're a wicked people. <laughs> We've done some awful things. And it is right that you abandon us. It's just. We deserve it. But the author of Lamentations, and if you read it carefully, you'll find this, believes that the suffering that Israel experiences is more than her sin deserves. The sin of Judah, the sin of Jerusalem, is not equal says Lamentations, to her suffering. There's a suffering that goes too far. There's a suffering that is evil. There's a suffering that overcomes the innocent person. I don't deserve this. The destruction brought about by the Babylonians, 
by Nebuchadnezzar. The killing of the sons of the king in front of his face and then putting his eyes out is out of proportion. And so this theme of lamentations is that, that Jerusalem cries out, yes, I have sinned, but I've also been sinned against. I'm a perpetrator, and I'm a victim. And the worst of all is the perceived abandonment of Jerusalem by Yahweh, the God of the covenant. Yahweh is not defeated by Babylon and her gods. Yahweh leaves Jerusalem on his own. Lamentations holds Yahweh accountable for the anguish and despair. He seems to have caused or allowed things to happen in a way inappropriate to the faithfulness and compassion that should characterize him. And this abandonment is one of the main themes of chapter 1. And I want to just show you a few verses of chapter 1 that show that. How lonely, this is the narrator speaking, how lonely alone sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow, and what's a widow but alone has she become she who was great among the nations she who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave and then in verse 2 she weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks among all her lovers she has none zero to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. And then verse 9. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore her fall is terrible. Here it comes again. She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction. For the enemy has triumphed. And then in 16. For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears. For a comforter. Is far from me. One to revive my spirit. My children are desolate. For the enemy has prevailed. And in 17, Zion stretches out her hands. There is none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against, I'm, I may have skipped one there. If, if we missed one, that's my fault. For these things I weep, my eyes flow with tears. I'm sorry, in 17, Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. And then in 21, which should be up on the screen, Sorry, that's my mistake. They heard my groaning, yet there is no one to comfort me. 
All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. So there's this theme through this first poem of Lamentations of there being no one to comfort. Not even asking for someone to solve the problem. All I'm asking is for anyone to show me some sympathy. This is the first Sunday of Advent. It's the time of waiting in the darkness and sometimes in despair for someone to come and comfort us. We put words to our despair. Whatever that despair may be. It will likely not be the intensity of despair that was experienced in Jerusalem in 586. But there's plenty of reason for despair in our world today. A friend of mine put it this way recently. A realistic assessment of the ecosystem now precludes optimism for human civilization as we know it today. There is no pathway forward for humanity and civilization that does not involve widespread suffering and decline, either voluntarily or as a result of uncontrolled crisis. And then there is the personal despair that we all feel because of the brokenness in our own lives. And I know that each one of you here, each one of you listening, has somewhere in your life, and for some of you, it takes up a broad swath of your life, a deep despair, a brokenness. I don't know where there is any hope. The despair that keeps us awake in the middle of the night or robs us of optimism or joy. And what Lamentations invites us to do and what we do in this period of Advent is to speak that out. To give it words. God has given us this book of Lamentations as hard as it is to read and as hopeless as it appears to help us express our despair. And in that way, as we already noted, to protest against it, to resist the evil just by speaking it out without solving any problems. Just speak it out. Put it out there. So I'd like to invite you in this Advent period, number one, to speak your despair. I don't know how you do that in every way that works for you. Put it down on paper. Speak it into your telephone. Talk to a friend. Talk to God. Whatever way might work for you. The despair that's in your life. Your sadness 
your pain, your darkness, your worries, your concerns, your sins, the sins of which you have been a perpetrator and the sins of which you have been a victim. To speak them out. To put words to them. And if necessary, let those words be raw ones. Let those be words that you might not speak in polite company around the Thanksgiving or Christmas tables, but let them be real. Because as you speak them out, you protest and you resist. And then look for and wait for comfort. There is no comfort in lamentations or very little. It's really hard to find. You have to make up a lot of things to, to, to draw comfort out of Lamentations. But Lamentations isn't the only book in the Bible. You may remember Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort ye my people, says your God. And I'd like to conclude by playing for you the famous piece from the Messiah, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. And just let these words from Isaiah and let these words from Yahweh reach into your soul and give you the strength in these times of darkness, if these are dark times for you, at whatever level, and give you the strength to express it and the strength to wait for and expect and perhaps even in these weeks experience something of the comfort in the Christ child for whom we are waiting.